Hi, and welcome to the Midlife Feast, the podcast for women who are hungry for more in this season of life. I'm your host, Dr. Jen Salib Huber. Come to my table, listen and learn from me, trusted guest experts in women's health, and interviews with women just like you. Each episode brings to the table juicy conversations designed to help you feast on midlife. Hey there, just before I introduce today's guest, I want to take a minute to tell you that the Midlife Feast community membership is now open. This is an intuitive eating community for women in any stage of menopause, so perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause, who are looking to explore an intuitive relationship with food so they can feel good in their bodies and stop worrying about food all the time. We'd love to have you, and you can check the show notes for more information. Hi there. My guest today is Julie Duffy Dillon. She's a registered dietitian and PCOS expert, and she is one of my kind of favorite anti-diet, non-diet people in this space because she was actually one of the first people. It was her podcast that I found many years ago when I was first starting to explore my own relationship with food personally and professionally. So I wanted to have Julie on to talk a little bit about PCOS in midlife because it's a question that comes up a lot and we actually don't have a ton of information, but we are starting to learn a little bit more. And I think it's so important for everyone who has PCOS or knows someone with PCOS to listen to what Julie Julie has to say. Okay. Welcome, Julie, to the Midlife Feast. Hey, Jen. So nice to chat with you and nice to meet you. Thanks for inviting me on. I'm so excited. As I was saying before the show that your podcast, which has taken on a little bit of like a um, a facelift, I guess, or, you know, a transformation in the last... Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a much better word. Um, (laughs) Your podcast, which the new name is Food Voice. Yeah. Find Your Food Voice. Mm-hmm. Right, find your food voice um, was one of the first podcasts that I really kind of tuned into when I was beginning my personal, professional, non diet journey, and uh, so I'm really, really honored to have you on my podcast. Aww. I'm so glad that like my podcast was timely. That makes me really happy. Yeah, definitely, and also timely because you're really talking, well, you've always talked about PCOS from a Mm non-diet perspective and having those conversations around food that aren't about cutting all the things out. And, um, you know, so many of those conversations that happen around PCOS. And so I love that you're bringing PCOS to the midlife table. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So what happens to people who have PCOS when they hit midlife and perimenopause? Well, I think it, the first thing I always like to acknowledge is like, what are people people actually told about what's going to happen? And when I survey people in my community, they're like, basically nothing or it goes away, which is not true because PCOS is not just about the the ovaries. It's actually like this condition that you have your whole life. And, um, you know, PCOS in midlife can some symptoms worsen, some get better, um, and some end up just being like everybody else in midlife. So it's there's also like a big, huge gap in the amount of research that we can actually lean on for this information. So, so much of it, I just have been trying to gather from working with people in midlife and beyond with PCOS, like what they've told me about their experiences. But, you know, one thing's for sure is, cutting out a food group or um, trying to exercise, you know, even when you feel totally awful, those are also not going to be helpful in midlife and beyond 
um, with PCOS. So maybe let's back up a little bit. And just for any mm-hmm. listeners who maybe aren't fully familiar, can you tell us what is PCOS, first of all? So, yes, PCOS is a condition that basically results in this hormonal imbalance. It starts in the brain and it ends up causing this hormonal imbalance and a set of symptoms. And it's very ambiguous. Like this, people will often have different symptoms than someone else with PCOS. And, um, but you know, to get diagnosed with this condition, there's the Rotterdam criteria, which you have to meet two out of the three to get diagnosed. And the first one is irregular or absent periods. The second is some kind of signs of high androgens like testosterone. And the third is mu- multiple immature follicles on the ovaries um, via ultrasound. And of course, those multiple immature follicles are um, called cysts. So that's why the, the, the whole term PCOS or polycystic ovary syndrome, that's why it was even called cysts, but they're not cysts. But the thing that's really crappy about those of you in midlife who may be like listening to some PCOS things and thinking that maybe I have this condition and just was never diagnosed because two of the three of those criteria, you actually need to be menstruating or have the ability to menstruate in order to get those criteria met someone who is either before or after that period of life technically can't even get diagnosed with PCOS. So, and we know that it doesn't start and end with menstruation. So, yeah. yeah. And so we often think of PCOS as something that affects primarily, you know, people of reproductive age and, mm-hmm. you know, impacts their ability to get pregnant. But how does it show up in midlife? How do, let's say someone has known their entire life that they have PCOS and, and now they're in midlife and perimenopause, what, what changes for them? Well, let's start with the good stuff. Yeah, <laughs> so for many that. people with PCOS, you know, as uh, all of us with uteruses, you know, we're starting to experience a drop in estrogen as we're going through midlife. And so people with PCOS, for many people, like the estrogen starts to be almost kind of normal. And so cycles may be more regular and more of what one expected earlier in life. And um, as someone goes through menopause, of course, like symptoms from um, being anemic, from a lot of blood loss, from um, heavy periods, that will also go away. Um, But as someone is going through midlife, maybe perimenopause or in menopause with PCOS, there is also a lot more um, complications with insulin. Insulin levels tend to be higher. And same with um, triglycerides and then um, HDLs are the the kind of quote, quote, good cholesterol, those uh, lab values tend to worsen as someone's in midlife. And um, so you may notice with the, especially with the high insulin levels, like really intense carb cravings more than you ever had and a lot more fatigue, just not um, like the kind of fatigue that's like painful. Um, I have some clients who were even having to be on disability. Like the fatigue was just so um, such a heavy burden in their life. So yeah, you may be really tired craving carbs significantly and and then also noticing your cholesterol panels worsening. So um, I know it sounds like such a, a barrel of laughs, I know, but, <laughs> but um, it's just a part of it. And, you know, the thing that I, people always ask me, they're like, what about my testosterone levels? What should I expect with that? And what um, I initially, I remember thinking, well, if testosterone, it goes down, like the, the, that number itself, like if you're tracking your testosterone, it, it's like, probably is going down, but because a person has this like lifetime exposure to higher androgens, 
the facial hair or the uh, androgenic uh, alopecia or the hair loss on your head, like the, those types of symptoms will just remain um, mm-hmm. throughout, um, throughout the lifetime because of just having that exposure to the higher androgens. So that'll be steady, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it's so true about, and I think it's important to, to reiterate that the changes that happen with insulin resistance and cholesterol in particular really happen to most people who are mm-hmm. going through uh, midlife and perimenopause. Um, the, it's not like a foregone conclusion. It's not something that happens a hundred percent to everyone, but there's definitely a trend. It's definitely a risk factor. And so for people who have PCOS who are already in that stage because of the, this condition, it definitely makes it more likely. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's, um, I think probably one of the challenges managing that medically and why they are often given advice around carbohydrates in particular that maybe aren't helpful. And, and, and maybe you can touch on that. Like what are some of the, the dietary um, recommendations that people receive that aren't serving them in midlife or before, um, but especially kind of as they enter this age and stage of life? Mm-hmm. I hear a lot of people talking about their medical providers basically doubling down on the same old advice of just eat less and move more and really like forgetting that their patient or their client is like a human being that deserves to like, I don't know, enjoy food and get like needs met, feel energized by food. Um, really um, pushing the the scale as a measure of health and that they're to blame for the higher you know, cholesterol levels. Like you said, it's normal for anyone as they're going through menopause to experience that. And, and then having PCOS on top of it, it just is going to make it even um, more of a challenge. And that doesn't mean that you need to then torture yourself with food. If anything, what we know from long-term research on dieting is that chronically dieting or eat, not eating enough for whatever reason will only make cholesterol worse, make blood sugar worse, insulin worse. Um, and also make your mood worse. You know, we didn't talk about like the psychological consequences of PCOS in midlife, but like when someone has PCOS up until about the mid forties, there's a higher risk of a mood disorder. And then, but then for everybody else without PCOS, there's a higher risk of a mood disorder as we're going through menopause. So then you kind of just catch up with everybody else. It's already hard to live with this chronic condition. Um, and then to just, be told that you have to eat less. And, um, but yeah, lots of recommendations to do intermittent fasting or cut out food groups. And, um, again, just expecting you to be a robot that really is not supposed to have any pleasure at this period in your life or like feel satisfied. Um, yeah, I, I find that so many people who have PCOS at any age, it's, mistreated as a, a disease of lifestyle and diet. Mm. And, you know, people are guilted and shamed into not being able to control it by, you know, diet and exercise. Uh, when in fact Mm -hmm. it is not caused by diet and exercise or lack thereof, it is a metabolic condition that has, you know, that is inherited and, you know, that there are so many pieces to that puzzle that it could never be managed solely with diet and exercise. And that's not to say that food and movement don't have an impact on the person's experience, but it's certainly not going to cure it just by cutting out carbs and going to the gym five days a week. 
<laughs> yeah, your behavior didn't cause it. And so it won't cure it. It may be a tool to like help manage symptoms, but doing it to the point where it hurts is not something that you should be expected to do. Like, um, and I'm so glad you said that because there is a video going around like as right as we're speaking from a very well-known medical doctor talking about this myth about PCOS being caused by not eating correctly. Um, and that's what he's saying. And he's spewing that all out. And we're all like, no, stop. This is like dangerous. We have known for a really long time that it's passed down through families. It's not something that you cause. And, you know, like we said, it doesn't mean that like food and movement are a tool for you, but deprivation and um, harming yourself through exercise is not what we're talking about. It's I always tell my clients, I'm like, what can we add to what you're doing to help you manage your symptoms? Here are some tools that we know can, that can help your triglycerides. These are things you could add, or this is something you can add to help lower your insulin levels. So then you don't feel so exhausted all the time. Like there's, I mean, I want to say a bazillion, I'm going to make up a number. Like <laughs> there's a lot of different ways, so many things you can add to your life and add abundantly. Um, in order to actually manage this condition in the season of your life. And we'll talk about those in a couple of minutes, but I, you know, one of the things that um, I think is so important to recognize is that so, you know, many people who have PCOS live in larger bodies and that stigma really impacts their ability to access care at any age. But what I find is that they are often misdiagnosed in perimenopause as not being perimenopausal because it's assumed that their menstrual irregularities are being caused um, by their size or shape or body or what they're eating or what mm -hmm. they're not eating. Um, and is that something that your community and the people that you work with have encountered as well? Yeah, like lots of assumptions and not believing when people are like coming in with a complaint or something's going on, help me understand what my body is doing. And just assuming based on how a person, um, how much space they take up in the room. Yeah, that for sure. That happens like all the time. And it's, it's really, really um, infuriating and very sad. It is infuriating, especially since I think you know, women are often misdiagnosed in perimenopause, regardless of their background, body size, shape, um, because we, we assume that people have to be older, late 40s, having hot flashes, you know, missing periods. You know, I had a 52 year old the other day tell me that her doctor said she was not in perimenopause because she wasn't having hot flashes and her periods were still regular. Um, oh. you know, there is so much misinformation about, you know, what exactly is perimenopause. And I think that if you don't have that regular cycle, um, which many people with PCOS don't, it makes it even harder for your healthcare team together the puzzle for sure. Yeah. I, I think it's like something else that like a, a person with PCOS just has to like advocate for themselves on. And uh, the burdens on them again, you know, to like have to like Google Scholar, like what's going on in their body because the doctor's not really helping and then having to advocate for care. I mean, it just is a lot. It is a lot. So I love the add-in approach. It's totally the foundation of what I do as well. And, you know, what are some of the things that people with PCOS who find themselves in midlife 
maybe, you know, having changes that are different from what their experience has been, maybe better, better, worse, but what are some things that they can add in that will help to improve their experience um, and help them maybe just feel a little bit better about what they're going through? Mm-hmm. So my very first recommendation is always make sure you are eating enough. Like before we even talk about like what you could add within that like realm. And I really would encourage you to ask yourself, like, am I eating enough? Because those of us who are socialized as women, I think we're just taught that we don't need that much. And ridiculously like low calorie amounts are considered like as eh, enough, but it's not like we need to eat. <laughs> and especially right now with like what is happening in our like political climate and, um, and just different areas of like safety for different types of people. Um, I think about how I want everyone to be awake and like well-fed <laughs> so we can all use our voice. So that's the first thing is like, make sure you're actually eating enough. And what that will look like for you, the listener is going to be different. You know, everyone has their own unique needs, but making sure that, you know, the, the easy three square meals, like, like you're attending to that, like it's, uh, kind of like not very sexy, but it also is like, if you can start there and I always encourage people to have at least one of those meals where they like sit down and it's like warm. I don't know. (laughs) They're not just eating it while they're like eating off someone else's plate and taking care of everybody else's needs, but they're actually like sitting and eating a meal. And as I say that, it is so hot where I'm living. So I'm like, maybe not at a hundred degree weather, but you know, a meal that is something that you took time to, to fix. And it has like, it's satisfying, but outside of that, like, let's say you're in a place you're eating enough. Um, it's really important to, um, instead of focusing on like, let me take out carbohydrates. I always think that's like, putting the cart before the horse. I like to recommend to people to instead add um, protein, fat, and fiber. And, you know, protein is one that a lot of people, especially in midlife, if they've been um, chronically dieting for a long time or they're recovering from an eating disorder, their body's exhausted. And so that protein will have a couple different roles. It'll help your body to recover. Um, and it also can help things like those insulin levels. And for some people, they just get to the point where like, I don't really want a protein or I'm burned out on some of these proteins. And so you can also see a fiber or um, fats added to your meals, like making sure you just have that type of stuff added to the carbohydrate to help with uh, blood sugar balance and insulin. Um, and then also that satiety, like those are all really great tools to help you feel actually like, ah, oh, I have some of from this meal. Um, the other piece of it, you know, other things to add are, again, not very sexy, but really important boundaries, sleep, and not just sleep, but like rest. Like, do you take breaks during the day? So you're like, you're, you're like, your body is not constantly in that revved up kind of place where you can just like downregulate your nervous system and like chill out. Um, those are things that I find to be sometimes even more impressive than the food part is when I have worked with people who have really just found ways to make sure they had more rest during the day, um, more times for themselves, um, including those meals that helped like things like their inflammation more than anything else. So, um, yeah, so those are just like the starter pack of what you can add. (laughs) And I love all that. And, you know, I think that we, we underestimate the value and the power of adding things in. And, you know, that Mm -hmm. carbohydrate conversation across 
all ages and health conditions is seems to yes. be all or nothing, right? Yeah. And, you know, again, getting out of that all or nothing thinking means, yeah, some people may feel better with less. Some people may feel better with more, but you don't have to cut it out entirely or only eat carbohydrates. <laughs> like there's so, you know, building that balanced mm-hmm. plate, it's adding in and, you know, protein, fat and fiber are so satisfying and can have a positive impact on blood sugar and insulin, if that is, you know, part of your, your PCOS kind of journey, I guess. I love that. Mm-hmm. And rest. Oh my goodness. Rest is so important. Right. So important. Yeah. Cause it's, what is it? It's 75% of people with PCOS have some kind of sleep disorder. And wow. I have so, not heard that before. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? And you know, there's some people who are recommending people with PCOS to get a sleep study done every other year, which I'm like, well, that just sounds expensive. So does it need to be every other year, but maybe every three to five years, um, you and your doctor talk about it, but yeah, it's a really common experience. And part of it is because of insulin levels, you know, insulin is something that helps with the circadian rhythms of sleep. So if your insulin levels are high, it's going to affect your sleep. And yeah, if you have to get up in the middle of the night and pee a lot, or if people tell you snore, um, you know, all if you wake up in the morning, you're not rested. You know, those are all signs that, yeah, you could have a, a sleep disorder too. Yeah. And I mean, that shows up for women in midlife anyway, because... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's one of those ones that can happen. It yeah. absolutely is. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it definitely can make a big difference. But I hadn't heard that statistic about um, PCOS specifically. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I got lots of statistics for you. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I, I love, I just love this approach that you have around food. And, you know, I think that for so many people who either have a lifetime diagnosis of PCOS or a later life diagnosis, you know, they often have this immediate fear around what do I have to change? What do I have to cut out? What am I doing wrong? And so I thank you for bringing that just that that comfort to the conversation that, you know, you're not doing anything wrong. You didn't cause this. This is something that, you know, is, is a lifelong condition. Even if you're no longer menstruating, there are still pieces of that that are going to be showing up in your midlife experience. And um, I think that that's going to be really reassuring and helpful information. So thank you for that. You're welcome. And I hope it is. I hope it is. Cause I hope people really start to connect with the idea or like the notion of maybe they don't need to fix themselves, you know, like it's really yeah. fixing what's outside of us that needs to happen. And if we're too focused on like fixing something that's not really wrong with us, we won't be able to, to course correct the way things are right now. And I love that you focus on like some of the benefits too, because I think that that's you know, for all people going through menopause and, and perimenopause, we do often get hyper-focused on what sucks. Um, and <laughs> yeah. on the other side now, I tell people all the time, it's awesome. I love it. Um, you know, like there is so much freedom in no longer menstruating, even if it comes with a hot Oh water. yeah. I'm, I'm counting down the cycles myself as a 47 year old. I'm counting them down. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. The perimenopause. <laughs> It's not fun, but once you're through to the other side, it is like, bring it. I am, I am ready to not be a menstruator anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> so I always end by asking my guests, what do you think is the missing ingredient in midlife? I, I think what's missing is permission for pleasure and satisfaction with food. 
Love it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we're still allowed to enjoy our food, play with our food, feel full with it, you know, feel that, that umph that we get from a very pleasurable meal. You definitely deserve to have that every day. Thank you. And I know that people are going to be, want to know where to find you because you are an amazing resource um, and have been in this space for a while. So where, what's the best place for people to find you? And I'll, I'll of course include this in the show notes, but um, where should they look? So if you are listening on your podcast right now, which you are, um, you can find me um, by searching for find your food voice. That's my podcast. And it's for anybody with a complicated relationship with food for people with it, with and without PCOS, but then everything else, um, you can find it on my website, julieduffydillon.com. And I, I do have a course and community for people with PCOS called PCOS power. So you can find all the information there about that too. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jen. Hey there. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the midlife feast. Just remember that the Midlife Feast community membership is now open for registration and it is the perfect place for you to gather, grow and nourish with other people in midlife who know exactly what you're going through. You can find a link to join this monthly membership in the show notes. We'd love to have you join us as you feast on midlife. And if you found this podcast episode helpful or any of the episodes on the Midlife Feast, just a reminder that the best way to help others find us is to rate and review the podcast wherever you tune in.